Welcome to Dominion Today with Kevin and Chantel Davis, a podcast where you will learn how to discover your calling, live your purpose, and fulfill your destiny. By listening to these episodes, you'll build the confidence you need to operate in dominion and authority so you can walk in the revelation of the victory that belongs to you in Christ Jesus. Now, here's your host, Kevin Davis. And so, Lord, I pray that every single person both here and watching and listening to the sound of my voice, that they will encounter you as you speak to them tonight through your spirit. Come and have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just right there where you are, you can just quietly take your seat for a moment. Vian, thank you so much. Michelle, thank you. I want us just to stay in this atmosphere. And I'd love for you to, to get your Bibles because I want to teach something tonight and I want to share something. I want to reveal this to you and impart this to you in the way that I humanly can and allowing the Spirit of God to do the rest. For that which I have to share with you is something that is life-changing. The reason I say that is because it comes down to this statement that I made a little bit earlier, if you watch my social media, you'd have seen this, is that your decisions determine destiny. Decisions determine destiny. What is destiny? Well, it is but the simple form of destination. In other words, when you start somewhere, and you want to end somewhere. The place where you end, or at least intend to end, is your destination. There's nothing worse than embarking on a journey towards a destination, but not arriving at your destination. You know, I never actually thought I would say this, but if you travel as much as I do, there is a little concern always in the back of your mind whether or not your luggage will reach the same destination. Because you pack what you pack and you understand that what you pack, like especially what I had to do now in taking many of my wife's things with her or with, with myself to her. Things that she needed for Saturday evening and then also today. Because on Friday when, or Thursday, in fact, when she had already left for Johannesburg, obviously your suitcase can only do so much. And as she's obviously competing from Cape Town, and it's based in essence in Johannesburg, you know, you've got to take all of your things with you. Obviously, the luxury of you stay in Johannesburg, I mean, you can stack your entire combi or fenter trailer key and, you know, Bob's your uncle, as they say. You know, you're good to go. But obviously, you can only carry so much with you when you travel by plane. And so I was thinking about this again, how important it is and the faith that we put into the airport's company and even the aviation company that is responsible, taking that which we entrust to them and believing that it will in fact reach the intended destination. And so there's nothing worse than anticipating that you wish to get somewhere 
and reach that end goal or the destination. But as we love to say, your destiny. In order for you to get to your destiny, to fulfill your destiny, it comes down to the decisions you make. Not only those decisions you make today, but even the decisions you are yet to make. Because we need to realize that the place where we are now, the place where you are now, is the sum total of the decisions that you've made before now. So you are in essence standing in the culmination of all of your life's decisions. Now with that revelation, there comes another powerful revelation, and it's this. If you do not like how things are, you have the power to change it. And it comes down to you having to make a conscious decision. Why do I say conscious? Because it's not about the subconscious. It's not about the unconscious. It's not about, well, we'll just flow. We'll just do what needs to happen. In Afrikaans, well, let God's water, but over God's acker What is, has to just be, and let it be. Let it just be. Dit sal maar recht uitwerk aan die einde van die dag. How can we go about our lives in that fashion? We are not talking about something that has no meaning or no purpose. We are talking about our lives. Why is it that so many people and then sadly so many Christians deal so casually with their lives? Well, we'll just see how it goes. 50-50, flip of the coin, throw of the dice. We'll see how it goes. And people wish upon a star. Say things like, well, one day when my ship comes in, it's not going to come in unless you summoned it, unless you requested it, unless you have invited it. And it comes down to you making a quality decision, making a decisive, conscious decision. That if you do not like how things are, you have the power to change it. Isn't it incredible? As much as we can say God is in control, that's not entirely accurate. Because God is sovereign. That means that He has given us the ability to choose. To choose. Which is why in the book of Deuteronomy, God calls forth the people to assemble before Him. And He says that I call now upon heaven and earth to witness the decision that you would make. So choose either life or death, the blessing or the curse. But then he says, but choose life so that you and your descendants may live. The powerful revelation contained in those words in the book of Deuteronomy is this, is that your decisions now will not only affect the quality of your life today, but will also affect the quality of the lives of your children and children's children and those who will come after them. And so in order for you to truly leave a godly legacy, you need to make the right decisions. Because decisions determine destiny. And there's many of us who would say, well, Pastor Kevin, that's easy for you to say. 
Why is it that when we compare ourselves to others, that we find it so easy to compare ourselves with those who are pessimistic or those who have a pessimistic outlook on life? Because when people come together and the one talks about the fact of, you know, how bad things are, how bad the economy is, you know, inflation, how high inflation. Yo, have you seen the price of wheat picks? 60 bucks for a, I mean, I remember back in the day you could buy it for under 10 rand. And then people are like, yeah, yeah, have you seen the price of Pernutro? Have you seen the price of Nescafe gold? Hey, 200 rand. Hey, that's one rand a gram. That's some perspective for you. But isn't it interesting, the moment we begin to talk like that, hey, everyone wants to now try to outdo the other one. How bad their lives are. But the moment you say something positive, I'm blessed. I've just been able to purchase this new item. Well, I'm taking my family on holiday. And then people are like, wow, someone was born with a golden spoon in his mouth or silver spoon. Pastor Kevin, it's easy for you to say. Not everyone was brought up the way. What do you know about me? What do you know? Have you walked in my shoes? Have you been confronted in making the decisions that I've had to make? Have you come face to face where the devil like offers you this for that and still saying no? I will not. Devil, I will not even take a shoelace from you let you be lest you be the one to say I was the one who caused Kevin to prosper. But it's easy for us when someone is positive about life or paints a positive picture about life. You know, it's easy for us. Well, it's easy for you to say. It's easy for you to say, don't be worried about South Africa. I would say that too if I had a British passport. I don't have a British passport. I don't have a European passport. So as much as there are some people in South Africa who say, I must go back to where I come from, I'm like, where? Kabecha. Because I was born in Port Elizabeth. So where must I go? And so it's not about getting so caught up with all the things and trying to outdo the other one as to how bad life is. Why do we not have that kind of competitive match when it comes to the things of how positive it is? Hey, the fuel price actually going down. How many people have you heard say that? Hardly anyone. Hey, well, the fuel price just goes up five cents. It's like, hey. And then you even hear some radio stations say, Jesus is coming because of the fuel price. I mean, it's ridiculous. I want you to go with me to the book of Esther. And by the way, Pastor Chantel is sending her love and her greetings to each and every one of you, and even those who are watching. She's still in Johannesburg. 
And thank you once more, once again, to every single one who has sent words of encouragement and support, and those who have, in fact, supported Pastor Chantal's journey up until now, but now really the, the work begins. It's this, almost this picture again of what I've, what I've shared with you before, of the Comrades Marathon, where you start and you think you've started, and you've, you've, you've already had, you know, you took the selfie, you took the photos, you know, you're there in your Teletubby suit or Barney suit. You know, it's, it's, it's fun and games, and it's exciting, and it's lacquer. And you've already given your all. And then you get to the line, and you cross the line, and you think, hey, I've finished. I've arrived. And it's like, you look up, and you see it says start. So that's sort of where we're at. And in many ways, you know, even with us, where, where we're at in the ministry, like, that's where we're, where we're at. It's like what we've had to deal with up until this point in time has just been the introduction. It's just been the little bit of the intro. Because you know what? We have conquered so much. And everything we've gone through, everything that we've had to beat, everything we've had to conquer things that we had to overcome has brought us to this time and this place. And coming back to Pastor Chantal, you know what, she's obviously going to be with us tomorrow. She's coming back. And we're going to give her all the support and everything else that she's requiring in order to see her cross the finish line. And I know, I just know that she is destined for the crown. She is destined for greatness and this is, I'm not saying because I'm her husband and I'm biased. But if you just know her story, if you just know all that she's had to not only endure, but overcome and conquer. And I believe that her story, once it is shared from the perspective of now what she's accomplished and what she wears, that message will embolden, it will empower, and it will transcend generations. In Esther chapter 2, it says this. I'm going to just read from verse 3. Or let, let, let's read from verse 2. Then the king's servants who ministered to him said, let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king. And let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom to gather all the beautiful young virgins to the capital in Shushan, to the harem under the custody of Hegai, the king's eunuch, who is in charge of the women. And let their things for purification be given them. And let the maiden who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti. This pleased the king, and he did so. Now there was a certain Jew in the capital in Shushan, whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives taken away, with Zechariah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. He had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The maiden was beautiful and lovely. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. Now let's just pause there for a second. 
Can you see that pretty much up to everything we've just read? Can you see all the calamity, all the heartache, all the challenges this woman and even her people had to already endure? Here is a girl who has no mother, who has no father. She is an orphan. Yet, she enjoys favor with her uncle. Here is also Mordecai and a people who were taken in captivity, slaves from Jerusalem, from their country, from their land, taken into another country, another land. And so once more, we can read about Esther because we know Esther's story. And it's so easy for us to look at Queen Esther. And when she would say something, we would respond saying, well, it's easy for you, Queen, to say. But we do not understand the sacrifice. We do not understand the full picture of what this person had to conquer of what this person had to deal with, what the person had to overcome, the trial, the tribulation, the persecution, to get to the place where you occupy the high place of authority, marked by power and dominion. It's not just handed over to you. It's a process a process of you first and foremost becoming a person of value by fully developing your gift because it is your gift that will make room for you and bring you among princes and kings. And so here is a woman whom you could say had very ba a bad hand of cards dealt to her. Here is someone who could have tweeted, life happens. Here is someone who had many things to blame. Where were my parents? What happened to them? Why is this happening to my people? How is this fair? And you see, there's a lot of people who have to endure a whole lot of injustice. And it's sad. It's heartbreaking. We even look at the injustices, the past injustices in this nation. And the fact for the matter of the matter is nations around the world, they want to act all innocent now. America wanting to tell Africa what to do. I mean, they had segregation laws as well. It took a woman, Rosa Parks, to say, I am not going to the back of the bus. No. Because that is where her people needed to be. She was like, no. And that act of defiance sparked an entire generation who said that we will stand up against injustice. We saw the rise of people like Martin Luther King. We saw in South Africa, in essence, who has become known as the father of this nation, Nelson Mandela, Madiba as he's referred to. And we can look at the atrocities and the injustices all around the world. 
Because do not just think that it's only South Africa. There are many areas where minority groups are suppressed, killed off. If you, have, if you really know what's happening all around the world, and I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's sickening with what's happening. And as much as we can look, even if you were to find yourself in the middle of that, and you were to find yourself on the wrong side, in essence, and I'm saying in inverted commas, on the wrong side of that which is popular, of that which is the law, of that which is acceptable. If you find yourself outside of that, it's difficult. It's challenging. But we have seen from history and the pages of history and even the very pages of our Holy Bible that it's not impossible. And so here is a woman who against all odds is going to defy every single thing that's going to come against her in order for God's eternal plan and purpose to be not only revealed, but made manifest in the fullness thereof. And so when the king's command and his decree were proclaimed, and when many maidens were gathered in Shushan, the capital under the custody of Haggai, Esther was also taken to the king's house into the custody of Haggai, keeper of the woman. And the maiden pleased Haggai and obtained his favor. And he speedily gave her things for her purification and the portion of food and the seven chosen maids to be given her from the king's palace. And he removed her and her maids to the best apartment in the harem. Now back in the day, the harem was not the place that you wanted to be. As a virgin, you did not want to be there. As a woman, you did not want to be there. And so here is someone that is possibly in one of the most ungodly kind of places, but enjoys the favor of God nonetheless. For she had obtained favor with the eunuch. And even though she was in these very or in this very difficult situation in essence forced into something against her will forcefully removed from her home along with all the others placed into an ungodly place in an ungodly position for who knows what kind of ungodly deeds yet she enjoyed faith she could have looked at the situation and she could have said, why me? Why does this always happen to me? An orphan and people in slavery in exile. Now this, what's next? But we do not read that that was ever her attitude. Let me just say it is your attitude amidst the storm. Amidst the trial, the tribulation, and the persecution that will cause you to obtain favor. That you will obtain favor with even your enemies and your captors. Joseph experienced the exact same thing. No matter the injustice inflicted upon Joseph, he enjoyed favor in Potiphar's house. Then he enjoyed favor in the prison. And then ultimately he enjoyed favor in Pharaoh's palace. Becoming the prime minister of Egypt. 
And so just on this point, up until what we've written, I want to share this with you. Every single one of us need to ask ourselves these three questions. When it comes to understanding that it is our decisions that determine destiny. The questions are, what do you see? Question mark. That's the first question. What do you see? Another way to phrase this and a little bit more specific is this. What are you focused on? Have you seen this picture on social media perhaps where it shows two people in a bus? The one looks to his right and the other one obviously seated on the left looks to the left. And in this cartoon picture, what you can see is the person on the left looks as he does out of the left hand window. And he sees the beautiful ocean. He's got this big smile on his face. And the other one looks at the cliff face, this dark cliff face. And he's got this droopy expression on his face. And the caption reads something along the lines of, your perspective changes everything. Same bus. Same kind of people. They pretty much look the same. So we can maybe say they probably most likely from the same kind of background. They're going in the same direction. In other words, same destination. Oh, but the journey for the one is wow. The journey for the other one is oh. That's life. So what do you see? What are you focused on? That's the question. And then this follow-up question you have to ask yourself, which is question number two, is what does this mean? What does this mean? And the number three, the follow-up question to that is then this ultimately, and it is what must I do? So first and foremost, what do you see? What does it mean? What must I do? So when it comes down to this, what it is that you see and what it is that you are focused on, you need to be able to see it as it is, but also not seeing it worse than it is. Do you get that? There's nothing wrong in seeing what you are seeing. There are some spiritual and religious fanatics out there who decide and choose to just ignore the obvious. And people would say things like, oh, inflation? What inflation? I'm not bothered by inflation. I mean, it takes me back to my childhood when I, I remember my parents had this friend. He said to me this one day, and obviously this was tongue-in-cheek, but he said, and he's got this very dry sense of humor. And he says, I don't know what people are talking about, the price of fuel increasing and the price of fuel just going up, going up, going up. He says, I still put 50 rand of fuel into the car and that's never changed over all of these years. You see, when you consider something like that and you understand, you know, what he's talking about and what he's just nudging at, is there are some people who would go through life with this, like, they're living lives in denial. Where everyone is talking about the inflation, they're like, no, no, that's not a problem. No, it is, because it affects your life. 
It affects your way of life. It affects your quality of life. Now, people might say, well, it won't ever. You are in this world. Yes, I know you're not of this world, but you're in this world. And you know what? We are the ones who are able, with the dominion and the authority and power that's been given to us, to affect change. To affect lasting, meaningful change and ultimately transformation. And so in order to do that, we need to be able to understand what we are up against. What we are dealing with. So that we can deal with it effectively. And this is why, unfortunately, many Christians are not good at problem solving because they deny that there is a problem to begin with. Talk about a weak exchange rate, you know, weak foreign exchange, weak rand value. No, that's not true, you know. We're a prosperous nation. Uh, okay, just hold on. We would love to be able to get there, but we need to get there. We're not there now. No, we are by faith. Okay, I understand it's a faith declaration. That's what we want to see. That's what we want to get to. But we also have to put in the work. We need to get from where we are at point A to point B. We need to get to the place of where we are at now. I do not want to see this nation on any more blacklists when it comes to international investment and international investment opportunities. I do not want to see restrictions of the international community not being able to invest in the country because of our junk status, which is a reality. And as much as we can talk about the fact, well, they are Westerns, you know, we are African, we should create our own. I mean, that's a narrative. I mean, just creating your own thing, it's simply still just denying the facts. Because you now want to create a substitute that tells you what it is you want to hear. That is the very definition of an echo chamber. Where you say something and that which comes back to you is exactly what you said and you want to hear what you want to hear. You want to hear you are doing well. You want to hear you're doing great. You want to hear, yay, everything is amazing, but it's not. And already certain Christians would hear this and they would say, well, Pastor Kevin, how dare you be so pessimistic about this nation? Hey, I'm optimistic about this nation. I am proudly South African, which is why I cannot, I mean, it defies my mind to see South Africans in all black jerseys, even today. Going to the airport, flying. I mean, Halleprat Afrikaans, Maladra, all black jerseys. I mean, explain that to me. Explain that to me. I mean, I'm proudly South African. Proud to be a South African. I will stand for this nation. I will fight for this nation. I will do what is required of me as a citizen, a proud citizen of this nation and of this country. And so it's not about being optimistic or being pessimistic. It's just being real. That there are some real challenges that our people face. There are real challenges that our young people face. Do you know that there are psychologists and those who are very, very educated who look at the state of this generation and they say that this is the first generation out of how many hundreds of years where this new generation are looking at their future with hopelessness. Because just after the Second World War, there were those who looked at what they've come from.
the calamity and the chaos. And there was this thinking that surely where we've been, the lowest of low, we can only go higher from here. And sadly, there are many. This generation right now, if you look at the statistics, I do not have statistics for South Africans, but the statistics in America is that at least 70% of young people in the United States of America paint a bleak picture of their future and for their future. That's in America, a first world country. Unemployment less than 4%. Where are we? 40. So you can imagine where our young people are at. We are fooling ourselves if we refuse to talk about gender-based violence. If we refuse to talk about social issues. If we refuse to talk about drugs and young people getting addicted to drugs and the devastating consequences of drugs among our young people in particular. To talk about the, in essence, unwanted pregnancies. That's the phrasing the world uses among teenagers. The challenges are real. And it's up to us to understand what we're up against so that we can bring meaningful, practical solutions to that which the world is facing right now. Because people are going through some very real things. They are facing some very real threats, very real dangers. And so it's not about denying the facts. As I've said to you before, Romans chapter 4 reveals very clearly that Abraham, he understood that his body was old, that his wife's womb was as good as dead because of her advanced years. Nonetheless, he became fully persuaded, knowing that God was able to do just as he has promised. So as, we, as much as we are not swayed by the situations or the circumstances, I'm not moved, I'm not shaken by it. I'm not, I'm not losing any sleep over it from that perspective, from the perspective of faith. I'm losing sleep over it from the perspective of right now, there are young people shooting up drugs. There are young people shooting up crack pipes and tick pipes right here. Just a few kilometers maybe even from here. A few meters from here. And so, yes, from a spiritual perspective, we can say I'm not losing any sleep over it. But in a real practical way, I'm losing sleep over it. Because that should not be happening in my city. I should not have to come to church on a Sunday afternoon and see prostitutes on the street corner. And so I'm not denying what I'm seeing. I see it and I'm, it's real and that's why I'm mentioning it. And because we will take a real hard look at ourselves and at our communities and at society and at the nation, it is then and then only that we can come up with meaningful, practical solutions. Because there are real people with real challenges, real threats, and real deaths as a consequence to that which is happening. And so we need to understand what we are up against. And yet in spite of all of these things, I have hope. In spite of all of these things, there's a peace on the inside of me. There's a joy on the inside of me because I know that it's possible. 
because I know that we have a job to do. There's a task, a mandate to which we've been called. And it starts with every single one of us. And as much as we still get caught up with the bad hand that life has dealt to you, I'm an orphan. I understand it must be tough. Well, you might say, I, I had an absent father. Or maybe you have an absent father and an absent mother. I cannot even begin to imagine the pain, the hurt, and the confusion it must cause. Especially when they're still living and breathing today, but they want nothing to do with you. And so I'm not even going to try and put myself in your shoes. But as much as we can be that second person who just looks at the cliff face in life and watch life just pass us by. Let us be the ones, in spite of what it is that we've had to deal with. In spite of what it is that we have to constantly deal with and overcome by faith. It comes down to this, our decisions. Because decisions determine destiny. Also, when, it, when we deal with the real issues at hand, we have to ask ourselves, what is the truth? What is the truth? So it's not about just what you see, but also what is the truth? What is the truth? Because, hey, you can look at news media, and you can see pictures, this one bombing, this one, this one bombing, that one, but what is the truth? What's going on there? What's going on there? Because you see governments of the world have proven that they cannot really be trusted with the narrative, with the version of the truth, or a version of the truth, because it's a truth. That's the very definition of propaganda. They will put out something. They will say, this one bombed us, but it was them. They were behind it all. I mean, without going into all of these things, because people will call you a conspiracy theorist, when we talk about false flag events and all kinds of different things. But I'm talking about that which history has proven. The Iraq war, where's the weapons of mass destruction? Where? The Americans, I mean, George Bush, Tony Blair, called for war and invaded Iraq, a sovereign nation. On the basis of these weapons of mass destruction, where are they? There's none. And in doing so, they totally and utterly destabilized the Middle East, giving a rise to ISIS. And now that caused another problem. And now they send in people to Afghanistan later. And now they, we see the rise of ISIS. And now you've got to get them out. And in doing so, you cause another issue. Because now you, this one rises up in power. Look at the Vietnam War. Supposedly a boat was sunk. But then later you find where documents are declassified that it was the U.S. who did that. You look at Pearl Harbor. There were pre-warnings. Warning the intelligence agencies that a strike of Imperial Japan was imminent. And what did they do? They got the boats even closer together. Because anyone worth their salt in the military will tell you that's not how you park your boats. <laughs> Making it even easier for any enemy force to attack. And so it's so important to understand that it, it's not just about relying on your sight. Because your eyes can deceive you. 
And so you have to ask, what is the truth? Not a truth. Not this government's truth, not that government's truth. Not this person's truth, not that person's truth. Because nowadays there is a thing such as my truth or your truth. There is not my truth or your truth. There is the truth. It is constant and it is absolute. You say, how can that be? Because truth is personified in the person of Jesus. That is the truth. And it is the truth, that truth, Jesus as the truth that sets you free. And so we have to ask ourselves, what is the truth? When we deal with the situations that we deal with, when we are confronted with things, and when there is a narrative that comes from government or politicians or that which we read in the media, we have to ask ourselves, what is the truth? Because there are many Christians who even pray amiss because they do not pray according to that which the Spirit is wanting to reveal them, to, uh, wanting to reveal and lead them to. They pray according to that which certain media outlets and certain governments of the world want to put out as a version of the truth. And that's why we pray amiss. Because we pray and tend to pray political narratives instead of praying the truth. The truth from the Word of God. Also, number three, when it comes down to what do you see? The significance of getting a vision. Having a vision. Because the life that you have been given is not your own. You need to have a greater vision. One of the easiest ways to already just get a vision while you are still believing the Lord for a vision is to join a vision. Is to be part of a vision. That is why it is so powerful for people while they might say, I do not yet have a vision of my own. I'm still busy formulating that. Plug in, get connected. Join us in terms of the vision that God has given us as a church and a ministry. Even if you already have a vision. And you might say, there's something that the Lord has showed me and I'm doing this. And I'm purposeful about the vision, the dreams, the desires that God has given me. As much as that is great, you can still be part of something bigger than yourself. You can still slot in and find your place in a greater vision. So have a vision. And then also, make sure that you have and that you accept and that you submit to spiritual oversight. Because spiritual oversight is there, not just, as we would say, from a spiritual point of view, for protection, for your safety, for your growth, and to establish and to bring about multiplication, fruitfulness in your life. But also just from a natural point of view, is that when it comes down to what it is that you see, when it comes down to your vision, when it comes down to your future, when it comes down to you wanting to go and do something with your life, with your talents, with your skill set, it's really incredible to be able to share that with someone who has walked that kind of walk, who has had to be confronted with the very same kinds of issues. We've walked the journey before you. And it's not about age. It's about authority and it's about a position, but also, more, most importantly, about a function. 
the function of godly spiritual oversight. The substitute for that, as the world would call it, is a role model, a mentor. And the world loves to come up with all kinds of substitutes. Hey, as much as I'm a coach to many people on a natural level and on a natural basis, there is something even greater than, and that's spiritual oversight. Spiritual protection and covering that exists, and that is something that happens when you become part, when you join, when you become a member, when you join us in partnership, when you enter in and come under the fold and the covering. But the world will call this role models, mentors, coaches. And as much as that is great and even necessary, I mean, we've got coaches in all kinds of different disciplines, but when it comes to life, we want to sort of just like, well, I'll wing it. Whatever happens, happens. We'll just sort of see how it goes. And also we need to ask ourselves this. A lot of times when I were to ask people, why did you fail? Because people, you know, when you ask, if I were to ask you right now, how many of you have ever failed in something in life? By show of hands. How many of you have ever failed at something? So I at least know half of you are liars. <laughs> so it is natural for us to go through life, and there are certain things where we would be able to say, you know what, I missed it. I failed there. And I know we can get into all kinds of schematics and things and say, well, if you've learned something from the experience, it's actually not failure. You've learned. I understand that. But bottom line is, you tried something, it didn't work. The definition of it, you failed. But there's the question that you were to ask people, why did you fail? And if you were to just really think about it, why did you fail? When you tried that business, why did it fail? When you embarked on those studies and you failed, or you didn't complete it, which would be the definition of you failed. Because giving up equals failing. Giving up is, is, is possibly even a greater of offense. Because at least those who have failed a subject, who have failed their grade, or whatever it might be, or flunked the year, call it whatever you'd like, have gone through the heartache and the pain and the trial and the challenge, and they might have just not lived up to the expectation or what was expected by the lecturer or obviously by those who put out the curriculum, the school, the college, the university. But when you quit, when you, when you give up before you are even tested, how do you know that you couldn't have actually made it? But nonetheless, when you ask yourself this reality question, and it's a reality check, why did you fail? People will come up with all kinds of things, you know. Wasn't the right time. Okay, maybe. But then you would hear people begin to say things such as, didn't have enough money in a business, small business, didn't have enough cash flow, cash flow, cash flow, cash flow. That's the big issue. Okay, and then others. Didn't have the right suppliers, vendors. Didn't have the right clients. I didn't have attractive clients, good quality, paying clients. Because this is why I make sure that when we pray for clients, it's not just clients. 
Because, hey, I've been in business a long time. There's some clients, they are clients that you would actually give away to people. Just, like, just take them. Because they are more a pain than they're anything else. Because they are the ones that you have to send 50 in, 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 uh, rem reminders to pay the invoices. And they hardly ever do. But when you ask people, why did you fail? Why did this not happen? Why did this not happen? Why did you fail? People will come up with all kinds of excuses. But ultimately, those things, all of that, can be put into a single group. And you can call that resource. Money, didn't have enough money. Didn't have the right supplies. Didn't have the right connections. Didn't have access. Didn't have this. Didn't have that. It comes down to this, resources. I didn't have the resources. And yet those who have made a success in life, in business, when you ask them, how is it that you have succeeded when others who have tried the exact same thing in the exact same industry failed, who've come from the exact same background, then as they begin to explain what it is they did, because they also didn't have the resources, they demonstrated the ability to be resourceful. That means to work with that which you have, to extract that which is required from that which you do have. And that's what it comes down to, resourcefulness. You see, in life, obstacles are a given. Challenges are a given. Life is not easy. Nor is there ever a promise that it will be. If you believe that by the very fact that you are a Christian, life now somehow is just going to be easy, it's not. As much as we can say, yes, from a spiritual perspective, yes, you have what others do not have. Yes, we understand that. But Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. And we're not going to get away from that. I mean... We just do something. I can say whatever, and there will be those who will not like what I say. I mean, I can say that, you know, we are sons and daughters of God, and there will be that group who say, no, we are the bride of Christ. There's no sons, daughters. We know, there's no man, no woman. We all want Okay, I hear what you're saying. And then there's those who's like, no, we're not the bride. No, we're just friends of God. Okay, I hear you. And then there's those who say, no, 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 we're none of those. We're servants of God. We're disciples. Okay, that's right. And so you will be attacked, in other words, no matter what it is that you say, no matter what it is that you do. And so what is the remedy? Is you need to stay true to that which God has called you to. Irrespective of the trial, the tribulation, the persecution, the challenges. In the very same way that Esther remained faithful. Because we later read, for example, going to verse 15. Now when the turn for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter, had come to go into the king, she required nothing but what Haggai, the king's attendant, the keeper of the women, suggested. Everyone else was able to take whatever they wanted, whatever they needed from the harem, so that when they would have the audience of the king, they could have what they needed in order to put on an appearance, to get the attention of the king. But although she had access to all of those things, she required nothing. 
because she was going to be in front of the king just as she is. And it was her authenticity that caused her to be noticed. It was her authenticity where everyone else was trying to adorn themselves and trying to put something else on and trying to make themselves out to be that which they are not. In other words, they're not authentic. They're not real. They're fake. They're phony. There was one who in the simplicity of who she was, she was found to be more than enough. And as a result, the keeper of the woman suggested this. And Esther, who won favor in sight of all, saw her. So Esther was taken to the king, into his royal palace in the tenth month, the month of Tibeth, in the seventh year of his reign. And the king loved Esther more than all the women. And she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the other maidens so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. What is so powerful about this is that it again demonstrates what many clever people in this world have come to discover in life is that success is 80% psychological. In other words, it's about the state of the mind and 20% mechanical, your skills, that which you do. And a lot of times people think that if I do not yet have what I need to have, I have not yet obtained what it need, what I need to obtain. Because when we talk about the fact that, hey, you might be a little bit short at the end of the month, the, the first thing that we think is, I have to do more. Where the first thought should be, I have to become more. Because that deals with the state of the mind. Because otherwise the finances will come. But if you still see yourself as this poor, miserable human being, the money's going to come, the money's going to flow. It's going to come, and it's, instead of it being contained, it's going to fall right through your fingers. And you're going to find yourself in an even worse or financial situation. And so it's about the state of the mind. Where here this woman was, an orphan, a slave, who is where she is because of injustice. And you might have been able to say all she's ever known, her life, injustice but she did not blame everyone she did not shout and scream and kick and say why am I here oh I see it's because I am this race oh because I am this ethnic group oh because I speak this language oh it's because the color of my skin oh it's because I was born there oh it's because I'm a woman oh it's because of the she never said anything I'm not saying that in injustice, just be quiet, just be silent, just go with it. That's not what I'm saying. Don't miss what I'm saying. I'm saying that even in, in the midst of injustice, that you are believing that God is going to raise you up as you are busy applying yourself, becoming a person of value, 
You are not blind to the injustice. You see it. You might not as yet be vocal about it, but it doesn't take away from the fact that you see it and that you hear the cries of your people. But at that point in time, if you were to scream, if you were to raise your voice, you would be nothing than a woman and a slave screaming, kicking against the status quo. And your voice, your message will fall on deaf ears. Oh, but it is at the time when she has fully developed her gift, when she has allowed the process to commence. And for her, because of the favor of God upon her life, to get to the place of occupying the high place, it is only then that she reveals her true identity. It is only then that she reveals who she is what she is that her voice is heard that her message is heard and her heart is understood so that so in that situation and in that position and function she saves her people from total and utter annihilation And so you say, what does this got to do with me? Trust God. Trust the process. What do you see? What does it mean? What must you do? These questions and this truth you cannot escape from. See the injustice. What does it mean? What can you do? What should you do? What must you do? Although we want to jump the gun many times, see something and react to the situation, we have to also react to a situation methodically in wisdom. Otherwise, we miss it. And if you understand what Esther did, going to approach the king, she had no right to do that. And she said these words that if I die, I die. It got to that point where if she had to be executed for what needed to be done, for what needed to be said, then so be it. That my life is not my own. And so I believe that God is raising up people in this hour. That this is what it means for us as dominion. This is what it means. That which Pastor Chantel is doing right now, it's dominion. Being in an area of influence that pastors, according to the world, should not be in. And it scares the living daylights out of every demon. Because there are areas in our society that you might say is associated with this and is associated with that. And all kinds of filth and garbage and things. I'm not saying that's what pageantry is. I'm talking about many areas of society. I mean, there's many people who would tell their sons not to become lawyers because of the stereotypes. I mean, we all know the stories and the jokes about lawyers. I mean, all of us have heard those jokes. And those are jokes stem from what? Stereotypes. That all lawyers are like this. All attorneys are like that. All politicians are like this. All politicians are like that. They're not all like that. 
In the same way that there are those who would say, all pastors are like that. Oh, all prophets are like that. They're not all like that. We are not all like that. And people who would love to put you in a box, they want to put you in a box that's labeled religion and say, Pastor Kevin, Pastor Chantel, this is your box, stay in that box. And the moment you like emerge from that box and you put your foot into another box, then all of the demons who occupy that box want to say, what are you doing in this box? This is my box. No, this is not yours. We are taking what is rightfully ours as sons and daughters of God. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And we will occupy until He comes. Up until now, this pretty much has been a foreign idea, a radical idea for many. But I've seen, I've heard how many of you have even spoken to me and spoken to Pastor Chantal. I mean, even Vian the other day as we were hosting that event with Davi Ruet, a lot of business people, a lot of people from all sectors and spheres of society there in attendance. Well, he said to me, I can now see it. I can see what we're busy with. I can see what we're doing. Where people don't know what to do with us. They certainly don't know what to do with me or Pastor Chantel because we do not fit the mold of what a pastor and a pastor's wife should be, should look like, should function as. This is why it blows people's minds whenever they hear, oh, you're actually a pastor. I mean, people like mal malfunction. They don't know what to do. I mean, they're like, they don't know if they should just like, that's awesome, that's great. Or they should say hallelujah or make the sign of the cross. I mean, they don't know. <laughs> and I mean, that is what is so awesome. I, I, because I love to just sort of leave that. Because in our society, people love to measure themselves in terms of their importance, their significance. And people measure themselves by means of their vocation. You know, do I perhaps have a better vocation than you? Do I have a better salary than you? You know, have, do I have a greater place in society than you? You know, so typically people will ask you, so what do you do? They'll ask you, what's your name? And then the follow-up question, what do you do? And then when people find out we are pastors, I'm telling you, it blows their minds. Uh, this and that, like a pastor, I, I don't understand. And that is how we bring confusion in the camp of the enemy. Where before the enemy even understands what's busy happening, we're there, we're occupying the high place. And the high places, to see Christian representations across every area of society. Because we are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And we are to let our light so shine. And I'm believing for Christians to occupy the high places in this region. So we can see this region transformed from the inside out. For us as Christians to have representation on a national level. So that we can affect lasting change and transformation from the inside out. And that's how it's going to happen. If it was up to politicians, they would have done it by now. It's 30 years already of democracy now next year. 30 years. It's enough time. As much as there's been progress in many areas, we're not taking that away. We all can appreciate the fact that there's a lot of things that we can do. If we can eradicate corruption and all kinds of other things that are happening on a very wicked level, that we can actually see this nation prosper. There's more than enough wealth on this continent for us as Africans to prosper. 
irrespective of the color of your skin and the language that you speak for us to prosper and the only way that's even going to happen just as a side note is for us to stop attacking one another and to take the attack to the enemy and that's not the west that's not the east that's not the chinese that's the devil for us to occupy until he comes and i believe that even as i'm saying all of these things and even now i see people being clothed where mantles are falling upon people graces are falling upon people for you to shine for you to stand for you to occupy your rightful place and for many people just want to say this there might even be for some the time has come for you to step into something completely new I'm not saying that's you I'm not saying you are here tonight and you are that person you've got to change career I'm not I'm not saying that what I'm saying is you have to when you whenever you then ask yourselves what do you see what does it mean there are certain things that the time for that has come to an end I mean when I was there now in Santon I saw a place called photo first that brought back memories I mean I was like when last did I see a photo first when last so now I'm thinking to myself and I say to Chantal imagine you own that kind of shop you know and all you ever want to do is what you did when you started let's say in the 1980s people coming in with their film some of you are like, what's that? You don't even know. I mean, we don't even use digital cameras anymore. Think about that. There was a time when you had a film. And I was telling Chantal, you know, sometimes you would, you would have it. My dad, for example, you know, he would see he's got like one photo left or two photos left. But we just come back from holiday, you know, because you, you, you have to pace yourself. You know, so sometimes when we laugh, when we go into the Kruger National Park and you see people from the east coming. And then you just like, you, you, you make that first turn and there's a lot of impala. Yes, like they, and I'm like, listen, you, you, you're spending like three, spools, the spools, like three of them on, on just the impala. I'm like, listen, there's an entire Kruger National Park still left. You haven't even gone to the big five yet. So imagine if you're working in that kind of business. And you can look at the things and see, well, you know, sales are down, customers are down, and, you know, but, but I believe, you know, I just, I just work harder. Just put more money into marketing. I just advertise more. I just, uh, no, the times have changed. <laughs> there might be a very, very, very small niche market available for you. Some photographers who still prefer that, but it's a small margin. Well, imagine you, you know, you had a CD shop back in the day. I mean, we don't even use CDs. Some of you are like, hey, we didn't even start with CDs. You know, you like, you start with cassette. And some people are like, maybe a little bit more advanced in their years. And they're like, hey, we didn't even have cassette was the, was the step up. You know, we started with vinyl records. Some people would still say that vinyl is still the best sounding quality out there. And so when it comes down to what it is that you see, what does it mean? You might be confronted with the truth then. But that has come to an end. And so you also need to be able to be honest to yourself that the time has come for you to move on. To step out and to step in to something brand new. And so it might be that some of you, you know, you don't like how things are in your, in, in, in your job. And it might be that you need to change that. 
And that doesn't mean that you now quit your job. And don't, please, tomorrow morning, don't now put in your resignation letter because Pastor Kevin said, if I'm not finding fulfillment in my job, I need to quit. No, this is where you need to invest in your skill set. Become more. Become a person of value so that you no longer have to settle for that position that you've held for the last 10 years. Skill up. Upskill yourself so that you can now occupy the manager's position or occupy something in another department altogether. And so you also need to, when you're confronted with the reality of things, make the right decision. But I believe God is going to cause His grace to come upon you for divine discernment in this hour to understand what is important and what is necessary and also what is not. There are many people who would even tell you that that which is not godly, church, sacred, that somehow that is not what you should be doing. Because do you know how many young people's lives are destroyed when people and society want to say, you know, I'm going to ask for salvation on your life, and now will you not go rugby spiel? Imagine Sia Kulisi believed that lie, and now he's 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 got a seminary Bible school degree, and still he's looking at his 2024 itinerary calendar, and there's not, I mean, there's nothing on there. Nothing. And it's been three years, four years in the making where there's nothing happening. He's going to probably quit the ministry. We could have won two World Cups in the same time. Inspired hope to an entire nation and nations around the world. But you see, whenever you talk to religious people and religious minds, they can't understand this because they still divide sacred and secular where there is the kingdom. Occupy until he comes in every single area of society because you have the means to do what I cannot. And even now tonight, grace is coming upon you to occupy, to stand fast, to stand firm, to never ever again say, I cannot succeed or I will not succeed because I do not have the resources, because I do not have the connections. That even tonight, let destiny helpers come forth. Let destiny helpers locate you. In the name of Jesus, let destiny helpers be released to come to your aid. In the name of Jesus, for divine doors of opportunity to be opened up to you. As a result, not of your doing, but of your becoming. In the name of Jesus, let you become resourceful with that which you have. It not, might not be much, but it is something. And even tonight, as we spoke of this woman with the alabaster jar, will you even take that which you have and put that into the hands of the master who multiplies? And so, Lord, we dedicate our lives, our hopes, our dreams, our future, our resources, all that we have, all that we are to you. 
as we place ourselves upon the altar tonight and say, here we are presenting ourselves as a living sacrifice. Come and have your way. I pray for every single one who feels like they are stuck. Stuck in their relationships. Stuck in their jobs. Stuck in their business. Stuck in whichever area where there doesn't seem to be any progress. And as much as we can look at the hand that we've been dealt, as much as we can accuse every single person and every single circumstance and every law and everything that has led us to where we are today, and we can look at the injustice around us that's affected our lives, that we choose to keep our eyes firmly fixed on you, knowing that you have a plan. And that your purpose is far greater than that which we can even begin to imagine with our carnal, limited minds. Father, I pray that even now, through the eyes of faith and vision, give them a prophetic glimpse of their future. Show them what is possible by faith. Reveal to their senses what faith can do. For there are people who are starting to dream again. Let the vision come. You're not made to be mediocre. You're not made to be average. You're not made not to be loved. You're not made not to be appreciated, to affirmed. You've been made to love. You've been made to build. You've been made to affect lasting, meaningful change. You've been made to occupy until He comes. Father, I thank You that You have given us dominion, authority, and power so that in the position that you've placed us and the function that is available to us, that we will exercise your God-given authority, power, and dominion. Not for our glory or for our own selfish gain, but for your glory and the advancing of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. If you'd like to help Kevin and Chantel reach and impact this generation, thank you in advance for sharing this episode with your world. If you have enjoyed Dominion today, follow Kevin and Chantel on Instagram, Facebook, and your favorite podcast platform, or connect with them online at dominion.org.za.